Blog Talk Radio. How's everyone feeling on this football Wednesday as we get set to roll strong as steel your way? Week number eight already of this college football campaign. I'm Michael Regai. Glad you've locked in with us. Uh, This is the only place to be where you will get uh, the very best evaluations, analysis, the whys, as well as the what fours about uh, your complete interest in college football. As always, uh, my partner, the uh, the guru of uh, Phil Steele's college football preview and uh, one of the top analysts that we have around. We say hi to Phil Steele. How you feeling, Phil, as we get set to roll week number eight? Doing well, Michael. How about yourself today? Just dandy. I want to get this phone number out right away for all of you. This is how you lock in with us, 646-668-2248. Again, 646 646- Six six eight twenty two forty eight. This gets you instant access to us right here on Strongest Steel. Now, if you cannot call the show, you're not shut out by any means. Social media on Twitter is the way to go. Our producer, Jim Nabosna, will take care of that, and we'll be dipping into our uh, Twitter mailbags uh, multiple times throughout the course of the show today at Phil Steele, S-T-E-E-L-E-042, at Michael Regai, R-E-G-H-I, at Jim underscore Nabozna, N-A-B-O-Z-N-A, Jim, our esteemed producer. Phil, as we start today, and of course there's going to be a lot of uh, questions, opinions, and thoughts about Week 8, I want to go back to the, the two that most consider the elite, the creme de la creme last week. Alabama's Crimson Tide with that just uh, resounding thrashing of Tennessee on the road, while Ohio State didn't take the lead till the fourth quarter, used overtime to win at a very tough Camp Randall. Phil, your, your takeaway from both of those two with Alabama and Ohio State. Well, Alabama clearly dominant. Tennessee was uh, very banged up, lost a few more players during the game, and uh, it finally came to an end for them. They had gone through the rigors for three straight weeks, really had nothing left in the tank uh, against Alabama and the Tide Trouts. And with Ohio State, you know, watching that game, I was surprised at the Wisconsin offense. I had did not see any inclination for them to come out and run the football for 236 yards, 5.1 yards per carry, or for their quarterback to throw for 214 yards. That's the best Wisconsin has basically played on offense all year against anybody. I mean, yeah, the Akron game, they had more yards, but unbelievable to see what they did. You know, they had 22 first downs against Ohio State. They had 23 first downs combined against Michigan State and Michigan. I'm talking combined, Michael. Uh, It was an amazing performance by the Wisconsin offense, and frankly, Surprised because Ohio State came in with excellent defensive numbers, and uh, Wisconsin just moved the ball on them most of the night. Yeah, no question about it. I think uh, maybe we maybe we saw that, and, and this is to coaching too, is it not? I mean, Paul Christ, fabulous job with young Alex Hornibrook, and uh, we'll see if this is a start of kind of a step up for Hornibrook and that Wisconsin offense. All right, Phil, you ready to go? Where well, they're lined up to come to you, my man. Let's do it. 
Let's do it. Here we go. Let us uh, begin today in uh, the great city of uh, New Orleans, New Orleans, Louisiana, down in, of course, uh, of course, SEC country. Here's Shane with some thoughts on uh, not SEC, but ACC. How you doing, Shane? Hey, how you doing, man? How you doing? Real good. Yeah. Welcome. Uh, I got go right ahead, Shane. The, uh, yeah, I got the question about the NC State game uh, and the Louisville game. Uh, they uh, came close to beating uh, Clemson last week in that uh, game. Think they, uh, I think they'll come out this week with uh, Louisville. All right. Appreciate the call there, Shane. And uh, thanks for calling from Louisiana. And when we take a look at this matchup, you know, where I came away most impressed with NC State last week had to be the defensive line. I watched them pretty much control Clemson's offensive line a good portion of the game, only gave up three yards per carry. There was no big, long runs for Watson last week. And offensively, you knew coming in that Ryan Finley had a pretty good control of the offense. I thought he had a good game throwing the football. Matthew Days continues to roll along as a guy that averages over 100 yards per game rushing. 5.6 5.6 yards per carry. He's done that for two years now. He had a season cut short last year. So I was very impressed with NC State. And a little unfortunate for NC State, they didn't make that field goal at the end. They deserved to win the game in Death Valley. Now, situation favors Louisville here. You've got NC State coming off that Notre Dame game, coming off a road trip to Clemson, having to travel again. They have to give their A-game effort for a third straight week. Meanwhile, I think last week Louisville uh, looked past Duke a little bit. And I want to point out here to all the listeners Michael Ray got right on top of that Duke game. He had Duke plus the points in that one, and that's a game where you know Louisville missed a field goal at the end, up by three points. Duke was going to get the ball, and then they, a very questionable roughing the kicker call gave Louisville the first down. They were able to tack on the touchdown, win by 10. That's a game they could easily have lost to Duke as well. So I think Louisville's the fresher team. The situation favors them. They had a bye two weeks ago. But I just like what I saw at NC State last week. I think they'll give Louisville a game. And you know, Louisville wasn't that dominant last weekend. So I, I, I'm going to think Louisville wins this one. But I'm thinking somewhere in the 14 to 17 point range. Appreciate the call there, Shane. Phil, quick question. Do you think Louisville now, knowing as a one-loss team now and knowing they've got to be ultra-impressive every week, you know, roll up 40, 50 points a week to impress the college football playoff uh, committee, do you think that might be something that could work in their detriment as they go forward? You know, I've seen it before, Michael. It's what I call uh, down-the-stretch playoff pressure. And that is, uh, it seems like teams that are in the mix to make the playoffs, those last four weeks of the season, have a very low win percentage against the spread. And it's, to me, the reason I think part of it is, is you're dealing with 18-, 19-year-old kids. Naturally, they're going to spend a good portion of the week talking about their chances of making the playoffs. Meanwhile, their opponent is geeked up taking on a team like that. So really what I've seen over the last couple years that we've had the playoffs in place is that the teams that have a great shot at the playoffs and you're thinking they're just going to roll it up down the stretch, they don't cover a lot. And uh, so I think that's a valid point. Yeah, I think it's something we should uh, definitely keep an eye on as we uh, as we look at uh, Bobby Petrino and Louisville going forward. Okay, uh, let us uh, swing into Las Vegas and welcome uh, Ello to the show. Some uh, thoughts on the Mountain West. How you doing, Ello? Um, I'm doing good. I, I, I thank you for taking my call. Um, I was is, I was regarding the um, I was I was regarding uh, the game versus. Hawaii versus Air Force um, uh, last week. Um, it was pretty much a shootout between Hawaii. Um, uh, they were at home, lost to UNLV. Um, so my question was asking um, how how will they fare um, going on the road against Air Force? Okay, great question, Ello. Appreciate it. Love talking about the Mountain West Conference. Uh, and, you know, when you look at Hawaii, you go back to the last three weeks and what the difference has been with their offense, Drew Brown. Drew Brown has taken over at the starting QB job. He's got six touchdowns, two interceptions. He's also proven to be a dangerous runner. He's ran for 243 yards, 6.6 yards per carry. And you knew coming into the season Hawaii would have a much improved offense because their offense has been pretty stagnant ever since June Jones left. But the two years they weren't stagnant, the two years they did their best, was when Nick Rolovich was the offensive coordinator, and he, of course, is now the head coach. And you're looking at a Hawaii team 
that last year, frankly, struggled offensively. I mean, they averaged 18 points per game, 316 yards per game, but now they're averaging 30 points per game, 423 yards per game. Defensively, they're struggling a little bit, though. As you pointed out, they lost that UNLV game. Again, they were favored by almost double digits. And on the ground, they're giving up 239 yards per carry and 5.6 yards per carry. And this is the first time all year that they've taken on the option offense. And they're catching an Air Force team that's smarting a little bit. I mean, they were at Wyoming and lost. And then, of course, in Dallas in front of a very sparse crowd. I don't know if you guys got to watch the game, but the crowd extremely small. They lost that one by four. And now they're they're back at home for this. So I think you're looking at an Air Force team that needs a nice victory. Hawaii's dangerous with Drew Brown at the quarterback spot. I think it'll be a high-scoring game if you catch my drift. That might be your best play in that one. But uh, I'm going to side with Air Force to win that somewhere between 17 and 21 points. Really appreciate the call, Ello. 646-668-2248. He's Phil Steele. I'm Michael Regai, our producer, Jim Nabosna. If you want to do it on Twitter, uh, we certainly encourage that as you get with us and stay locked in on Strong as Steel every week. Uh, we are continuing to grow uh, listenership-wise. We love all of you for that. Continue to let all your college football buddies know because uh, you're not going to get it any better than this, as we've pointed out, a week after week uh, with college football in mind. So on Twitter, at PhilSteel042 at Michael Regai, R-E-G-H-I, at our producer, at Jim underscore Nabosna. We head to the state of Indiana, but not the Big Ten on Jeff's mind. He's got the Mid-American Conference on his mind. Jeff, welcome to the show. How you doing today? Hey, Michael. I'm well, and guys, uh, thanks for having me on, as always. I do want to talk a little action. Chippewas at Rockets, noon on Saturday. Jason Candle's offense is putting up big numbers, and in my humble opinion, that Woodside kid might be the most overlooked quarterback in the country. But that Central Michigan pass D has been pretty good lately, albeit against lesser competition. Uh, last I saw, Toledo's given up ten and a half, and I like him to cover. Who you got? Hey, you know what, Jeff? Uh, <laughs> once again, this is one of those games where you have to uh, hit the fireworks a little bit because you have touched on Michael Red Guy's Mac game of the week. And last week, Michael Regai's Mac game of the week was Western Michigan over Akron. I believe the one that came something like 41 to nothing. And uh, let's t- turn it over to Michael because this is his Mac game of the week. So great question, Jeff. And you, you pegged Michael's big game there. No one knows the Mac better than Michael Regai. Go ahead, Michael. Well, Phil, I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, it's something we like to do each and every week. And uh, we've been looking at Western Michigan the last couple of weeks. But this Central Michigan-Toledo game is going to garner a lot of interest, as Jeff was talking about. Jeff, Phil, made a terrific point, and I think you and I concur about Logan Woodside. Logan Woodside is the Toledo quarterback. He played two years ago as a starter. And then last year when Philip Ely, the uh, graduate transfer from Alabama, came in, former head coach Matt Campbell went with Ely. So Woodside took a redshirt year. But Jeff, Phil, I mean, he is everybody. He is off the charts. It's a name you got to start looking at. He's already thrown for over 2,000 yards. He's got a 24-4. to 4 touchdown-interception ratio and throw hitting 71% of his throws. Could he be the difference in this one? I don't know. Wait a minute now. You look at the other side, and as Phil and I will, will tell you all year long, Cooper Rush, the Central Michigan quarterback, is garnering all kinds of NFL attention. He's 6'4", 230 pounds, big pocket-passing strong-arm thrower, 18-3 to touchdown-interception ratio, I got a feeling, though, this is going to come down to if Central Michigan is able to run the football a little bit. They've been doing a better job, averaging 147 a game running it. Devon Spalding and Jaray Hayes there. I don't have any doubts that Cooper Rush and his receivers, Corey Willis, tight end Tyler Conklin, are going to be able to generate in the pass game. But can they run the football well enough against Toledo this week to kind of help rushing his receivers out? His Toledo squad averages 43 points a game. They only give up 23 a game. 565 yards of total offense. Phil, as you know, it's one of the best in college football. Equally distributed, 219 per game on the ground, 345 with Woodside and his fantastic core of receivers in the air. Cody Thompson Keep an eye on this young man. 
He got 29 catches for 722 yards, five touchdowns, and averages 25 yards of reception. He is a really a take-the-top-off-the-guy. So uh, take-the-top-off-the-defense receiver. Two things, again, I'd look for. Uh, can, uh, can Central Michigan generate pressure on Logan Wood's side? I don't know. They've only had 10 sacks on the year. It's not one of their fortes. And can they run the football well enough? I got a lot of respect for John Bonamigo outstanding second-year coach at Central Michigan. I think he'll go into Glass Bowl Stadium and play with Toledo, but I don't think he can beat Toledo. I got Toledo in that area of 37-24, to 24, a double-digit close to two-touchdown win. And, Phil, it should be a lot of fun to watch this one, though, this week because, as you know, Phil, there are a lot of – I think there are five or six guys on both – they're going to be playing in the NFL when their college career ends. So, Jeff, we appreciate that as uh, we break down Central Michigan and Toledo. And I'll, I'll, right, put, I'll put a bow on that by simply saying I definitely agree with Michael. I'm happy that he likes Toledo as uh, that's who I was leaning with at the beginning, and it's always good to hear it. And who knows? We'll see what the outcome of that one is. But uh, nice call there, Michael, once again. Yeah, Phil, appreciate that. And we're, we're going to have some fun, too, because remember now, Western Michigan is one of the two, along with Boise State, group of five unbeatens left in the country, Toledo at Western Michigan the day after Thanksgiving. Uh, and we'll talk a lot about that as we go forward. All right, again, 646-668-2248, 646-668-2248. Let's continue on. We go to uh, the city of Chicago and uh, here's Jay on Strong as Steel. Hey, Jay, how you doing? Good. How about you guys? Great. Go ahead Very with good, your Jay. call there, Go right Jay. ahead with Phil. Yeah, hey, I wanted to uh, break down the uh, Memphis-Navy game here. Uh, the midshipmen back in the top 25 for the first time in, uh, in a while. And we got uh, Memphis traveling to Navy as a three-point favorite. Kind of a little head-scratcher there. Um, you know, Memphis putting up a good amount of points per game, and their defense is allowed under 20 points per game, and they've been pretty good against the rush rush so far. Um, you know, Navy's, Navy's going to come in there with that uh, triple option attack. You know, uh, the, the option's not too flashy, but, you know, you don't expect it to work, but sometimes it always works for Navy. Does uh, Memphis have the discipline to stop the option and the midshipmen and get the win this weekend on the road? All right, thanks for the call, Jay. Appreciate that. And, uh, you know, the, the – Huge advantage Memphis has in this game is they just faced the option last week in Tulane. They did an excellent job against them. They held the triple option at Tulane to 169 yards rushing, 3.8 yards a carry. But Navy's option does operate at a little bit higher level than does Tulane's option. So that's something uh, to keep keep an eye on in this one. And uh, another factor to keep an eye on for me is that Navy is a team that uh, has not lost a home game in their new conference. The American Conference, in fact, they've won 18 home games in a row. Uh, they had played Tulane earlier this year, beat them 21-14. to Now, Memphis probably handled Tulane easier than the final score. They were up 24-7, turned the ball over. Tulane got a late touchdown. But I'm going to go back two weeks ago when Memphis played Temple. I thought Temple outplayed Memphis top to bottom. I mean, Temple had a 27 to 15 first down edge, 531 to 323 yard edge. Memphis had a couple of key turnovers, one for a touchdown that really turned the tide on that game and allowed them to win it. And I don't want to go against Ken, Ken Niamatololo, the head coach of Navy. He's one of the best out there. And the thing about Navy's offense, it usually hits its stride in the second half of the year. They average almost 10 points per game more in the second five games of the year, I'm talking about prior to Army, than they do in the first half. So you have a Navy team hitting stride. You have a Navy team home off a of bye, confident. They had beat Houston in their last game, for crying out loud. And just like you, uh, Jay, I was thinking I thought Navy should be a slight favorite in this game. I like Navy to get this one at home. Appreciate the call and the question. Ken Niamatololo, Phil, we were just discussing how strong he is, as we know, with regard to, uh, you know, people were surprised about that that win over Houston a couple of weeks ago. We were not uh, with what Navy's able to accomplish. We continue to move on on Strong as Steel, 646-668-2248. We'll be checking Twitter coming up here in just a couple of moments uh, as well. Let's uh, head out to a Pac-12 country, shall we, the great state of Oregon, as we check in with uh, our guy Tyler, who always checks in on Strong as Steel. How are things in Oregon today, Tyler? Uh, they're a little wet, and they're starting to get a little gloomy, so the uh, weather's definitely turning. 
interesting. Hi, Phil. I'm about to follow the Beavers up I-5 this weekend, so I'd like a quick thought from you. Do you think Oregon State is even going to stay inside the 37 points they're getting at Washington? And also, the fact that two of the Power Five conferences get away with avoiding about half their league every year really irks folks on this coast. So I was wondering if you had an opinion on the whole nine versus eight conference game debate. Are you in favor of one over the other at all? Thanks. All right. All right. Thank you very much for the call, Tyler, and uh, the the calls every week that you call in on. And let's address the game first. And, you know, normally, just out of the blue, you take somebody that's a 35-point favorite in a conference game, you got to look to the underdog, right? But this Washington team has just been unstoppable. They're off of a bye. You look at their home games so far this year, they're winning by an average of 41 points per game. Best defense in the Pac-12, Miles Gaskin, LeVon Coleman running the ball, Jake Browning at QB hitting 72% with a 23-2 ratio. And the game breaker, John Ross, a receiver, dangerous wide receiver, kick returner, punt returner. They're also excellent on special teams. Oh, and they're coached by Chris Peterson. When you look at Oregon State, they come in stumbling a little bit. Yes, they gave Utah a good game in their last one. Scored a late touchdown which upset a few folks that might have had Utah in that game. But Daryl Garrison got injured. Connor Blount got injured. They're probably going to go with Marcus McMarion, the third-string quarterback here. Ryan Nall, their top running back, got injured early last week. I don't know if he's going to be able to play. So you have a banged-up Oregon State offense going on the road. They already lost to Colorado by 41 points. Washington's a better team than Colorado. Uh, And they're coming off a big effort against Utah and Cal the last two weeks. I have to go with Washington to win this one by more than the five touchdowns. And I think for college football, here's what we're going to see. Uh, You're going to eventually see four 16-team super conferences, and they're all going to play nine-game conference schedules. That's going to happen, I'm going to say, three to four years down the road. The conference I think goes away will be the Big 12. Once they pluck a team or two out of the Big 12, then that conference goes away, and the other ones have to scramble to find other conferences. So that's my forecast Four to five years from now, four 16-team super, 16 super conferences and each one playing nine conference games. Appreciate the call, as always, Tyler. And if you're uh, one that, and you should, uh, shame on you if you don't, are always uh, checking out uh, Phil Steele's College Football Preview magazine, you know that Phil has been very, very staunch on that with what he sees coming up down the road. Phil, were you surprised earlier this week when the Big 12 uh, sounded like they were going to uh, make an announcement with bringing a couple in the conference, and then uh, they've decided to table it for the time being with no new additions? Did that surprise you? Uh, didn't I mean it was sort of a fifty-fifty thing, Michael? At bottom line, I think if you were a team that scrambled to get into the Big Twelve, as I just mentioned, I don't think mm-hmm. it would last for long. It sort of reminds me of when the Big East all of a sudden added teams. Even Boise State, remember, agreed to move from the Mountain West to the Big East because they wanted that automatic BCS bowl bid. But guess what? The Big East got discredited and knocked down and no longer had that bowl bid. And I think that's going to happen to the Big 12. So I think in the long run, it's it's going to be just fine. All right. But uh, definitely, Phil will continue to enhance for you uh, on philsteel.com. And as we said, in all the sources that he has to tell you why he is so so staunch on that and going forward. Uh, 646-668-2248. Phil's here. I'm Michael Regai, our producer, Jim Nabosna. Jim will be checking uh, Twitter and all the uh, social media tweets that you've sent out to us uh, regarding this week in college football and uh, just the uh, the grand game itself. In the meantime, let's get back at it. Let us uh, head to uh, the state of Pennsylvania. And uh, here's Joe with some Big Ten thoughts about Penn State, another whiteout, I would think, come Saturday night hosting Ohio State. Hey, Joe, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. You got it right. Another whiteout here. And we know how good Urban Myers has been on the road. My question is, do you see a scenario where Urban Myers may want to run the score up? If you go back to last summer, uh, when some of the Sandusky issues resurfaced, there were some comments about possibly Urban Myers' negative recruiting towards Penn State that Franklin made. Do you see a scenario where Urban Myers may want to run the score up, granted that it's a primetime game and a big recruiting day for Penn State? Yeah, that's a great point you make, Joe. And, you know, another factor that would make him want to run the score up is their performance last week, which, you know, you you had to think coming in, he was probably confident that they were going to handle Wisconsin. They didn't. They were lucky to survive. And I don't think he wants to leave anything to chance. If you've been following how long they've been doing this season, with such a young team, 
they don't let up in the second half. They just continue to pour it on. And uh, there's always that little something in the background which might help Urban uh, attack a score or two on at the end. And, you know, I think the situation greatly favors Penn State here coming off a bye, catching Ohio State off a titanic national TV game that they had to go to overtime to win. Penn State's offense has finally got rolling. And really, when you look at Penn State this year, everybody's thoughts go to the Penn State-Michigan game, a 49-10 to blowout. But other than that, they really haven't played a bad game this year. A three-point loss to Pitt is not embarrassing. They had a chance at the end. The Temple game, I thought they beat Temple worse than the final score. Uh, Kent they handled. Minnesota they handled. And then Maryland, they just beat Maryland uh, basically as an underdog. Everybody thinking Maryland is going to win that game. So they've been playing better. McSorley's moving the offense. They've got Barkley. But, no, I think Ohio State's a better team. And I do think they keep the foot on the gas pedal in the second half. I like the Buckeyes to win that one by more than three touchdowns. An excellent point you made there, Joe. Appreciate the call, Joe. Strong as steel is how we do this each and every week. Uh, Make sure that you let all your college football friends know that you get more information. And I'm going to say double to triple the amount of information. What other show is going to be able to uh, get you insight on the group of five that that you need to get your college football weekend set up? That's what uh, Phil Steele does, and we enjoy it. It's our passion, and want to make sure that you're always right up to speed with us. Let's keep rolling at 646-668-2248. We head to uh, the uh, state of New York with some SEC thoughts. Here's Mark. Hey, Mark, welcome to the show today. How you doing, guys? You know, funny, I actually wanted to talk about – I actually want to talk about Central Michigan and the Hawaii game, and I was told you folks (laughs) talked about them. So, good to know – I was told my head's in the right place. I know we love our action. But, uh, so, I just wanted to go to a bigger game, you know, this Arkansas-Auburn game. Uh, Love the SEC. Yeah, I know Arkansas is off of a couple, you know, tough games. I mean, they had Alabama, then they had that, you know, huge game with Ole Miss. You know, fear a little bit of emotional letdown. I feel like that's why the line is at 10. Auburn, you know, is looking really good. Sean White's getting really accurate. The running game's pumping. Defensive line's looking good. Just thinking about your thoughts about a bigger game, that the line seems a little bit inflated in my eyes. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it, Mark. And, yeah, that thing opened up at 7, has climbed up to 10 in this one. And uh, I think a little bit is the uh, situation that Auburn's in for this one. I mean, Auburn is fresh off a bye. If you watched Auburn in the last game, they were even more impressive than 38-14. to 14. I mean, they completely dominated Mississippi State on the road, leading 35 nothing. We've seen that offense get into gear. Frankly, I thought they needed a more mobile quarterback than Sean White, but he's doing just a fine job leading the offense. Uh, and, you know, another 432 yards last week. You look at the last uh, couple of games, over 1,000 yards, and uh, they carry in Johnson coming back big. Petway, the big running back, both averaging over five yards a carry. The thing I like about Auburn and the underrated part of Auburn this year is that defense. In fact, uh, very tough up front on the defensive line, the linebacking core. This is a very good defense for Auburn and one of the more underrated units in the country. They're holding opponents to 98 yards below their season average. Now, Arkansas can match them on defense, 95 yards below their season average. And the run game got going last week. I'll be honest with you. I thought Ole Miss was going to beat Arkansas last week on the road. Uh, and I was surprised Arkansas ran for 200 yards in that old Miss D. And old Miss D has been giving up rush yards, more rush yards than what Auburn has. So I think Auburn would do a little bit better job there. But Austin Allen's been a very pleasant surprise this year with an 18-6 ratio. But uh, I think the two teams fairly close. I think Auburn's a little bit stronger. But the situation really is what pushes me over the top here. And with the situation, the fresher Auburn, meanwhile, Arkansas just battling uh, Alabama, uh, Old Miss, and back-to-back weeks and now have to go to the road, and especially coming off a home upset. I like Auburn to win that one by uh, more than the 10 points this week. Appreciate the call, Mark. Phil, uh, while we're on it, I mean, a lot of tasty games right inside the SEC West, huh? Three of them that will have great implications. Uh, before we move on, let's let's touch on Mississippi's trip uh, into Baton Rouge to tangle with LSU. Uh, Mississippi uh, ranked uh, number 23 this week, LSU number 25. Phil, first of all, how's Eddie Orgeron doing as he's taken over? What's What's the pulse that you get out of LSU? I've got that he's got them playing up to their potential. I mean, there's no doubt. You ask any NFL guy, you look over this LSU roster, they've got the same roster that Alabama does. They've got the same roster that Ohio State does. They should have been playing a lot better. Now he's got them playing up to their potential. So I think Ed Ed Orgeron has come in, 
done a tremendous job as the interim head coach and just simply got this team to play to their potential. And I think that makes them fairly dangerous down the stretch. Uh, that game, if they beat Mississippi this week, that game against Alabama after the bye is a game that LSU could actually take control of the SEC West at that point. Yeah, they've got that loss to Auburn, which might hurt them, but uh, I, I think that we're going to be in for quite a game between LSU and Alabama. For Ole Miss, they disappointed me last week. And, you know, you look at the defensive front seven, you look at the talent they have, uh, I'm surprised they're giving up what they are on the ground. In fact, in SEC play, they're giving up 5.3 yards per carry. The Landshark defense lost a couple of key players early in the season to injury, especially in the secondary. And they're they're also struggling to run the football uh, as much as I thought they'd be able to run the ball better. Chad Kelly's numbers, good, not great, 14 touchdowns, six interceptions. And they're coming off a big road game having to travel again. I like LSU to win this one by uh, over a touchdown at home, and I think Orgeron's doing a great job. Yeah, very good. So there's two of the uh, very, very interesting three inside the SEC West. And, of course, uh, you stay with us a little bit later on in the show. Phil's going to assess, and I I don't know how much better Nick Saban and his football team could play. I mean, they just looked phenomenal last week in Knoxville. But Phil will assess the Texas A&M visit to Tuscaloosa. So hang on. That's coming up. 646 is uh, our number to call in, as you know, 646-668-2248. That's what uh, Jan in the great state of Utah did to get uh, with us on Strong as Steel. Thoughts on the Pac-12? Hello, Jan. How are you today? I'm good. First-time caller, and I uh, love uh, Phil Steele, press box, uh, subscriber every year. uh, my question is, uh, the Utah-UCLA spread has, uh, so far, UCLA is favored by six points at home, uh, and Utah has been a juggernaut in the Pac-12, and uh, I'm just wondering what Phil thinks about that game. All right. Appreciate the call, Jan. I really appreciate you being inside the press box uh, subscriber. You know, for all you inside the press box listeners, rough week last week for inside the press box. One and four on the plays, but now uh, 23 and 16 on the season. Hopefully we bounce back and bounce back big uh, with a nice weekend for you on inside the press box. But uh, uh, still a solid season overall, and I'm sure we'll finish it off strong. But this matchup intrigues me a little bit. Uh, you look at UCLA last week, they very nearly knocked off Washington State on the road with Mike Falfall at the quarterback spot. And, you know, he only hit 53.8% of his passes. He's got a 3-4 ratio coming into the year. Josh Rosen should be back this week. One area that's really surprised me at UCLA is they are struggling to run the football. On the season, they're averaging only 91 yards per game running the football 2.8 yards per carry, and naturally Utah's got that nasty defensive front. I don't think that that's going to change too much here. So it's going to be pretty much up to Josh Rosen to generate the points. Now on the flip side of the coin, Joe Williams coming out of retirement last week was huge. He had a big game against Oregon State. It's going to be a lot tougher test this week against UCLA. I love the way the UCLA defense is playing this year. They're holding opponents to 96 yards below their season average. That is one of the better defenses in the Pac-12. You know, their worst game of the year came against A&M in the opener. Other than that, they're playing excellent. Good run defense, good pass defense on the season, allowing 50% completions. But Utah's got a pretty good defense as well. So I think it's a a great matchup between two uh, sort of equally matched teams. I think the fact that Rosen is back, the fact that Utah's on a second straight road trip gives a little bit of the edge to UCLA. So I like the Bruins to win the game, but I think it's going to be a heck of a Pac-12 game this weekend. Appreciate the call there, Jan. Thank you. Jan, thanks so much. Uh, always love hearing from our friends in the great state of Utah. Michael Regai, Phil Steele, our producer Jim Nabosna with you. Uh, that's uh, your strong as steel as we all get set for week number eight. Uh, what do you say we um, continue on? 646-668-2248 is the number to call. And you can also uh, get with us on Twitter. And how do you do that on Twitter? Very simply, at Phil Steele 042 at Phil Steele 042 at Michael Regai R-E-G-H-I at Jim underscore Nabozna N-A-B-O-Z-N-A Phil I'm going to start it out with you one of our outstanding listeners from right here in Ohio uh, Tom Dart uh, at Tom Dart wants to know how much of a concern is it to you 
Michigan's inability to run the football against good defenses. Uh, it is a concern. If you watch Michigan's offensive line, it hasn't performed as you would have liked against the tougher Ds. Uh, they haven't taken on too many overwhelming defenses, but the Colorado game and the Wisconsin game are two games that uh, it, it definitely is a bit of a concern. Now, they've got some time to work the bugs out. You look at the rest of the schedule this year, even though they have Michigan State and Iowa on the, whole, on the road, which aren't going to be easy, they'll still be favored in their next five games prior to Ohio State. And it'll be interesting to see if they can get that offensive line uh, rolling prior to that. For this week's game, by the way, and we'll touch on it real quick as we try to get at least 20 games talked about. You know, we'll go back to the Washington matchup. Generally, I don't like having a team that's a 35-point conference favorite, but I'm going to look at it. <laughs> that at worries Illinois. you, Phil? <laughs> you know, what's that? That worries you? Yeah, it does. You know, but, in a conference uh, game, there's a 35-point favorite. Yeah, and Illinois, actually last week against Rutgers, they won 24-7, to but they were out first down by Rutgers. 23-10. to 10. They lost to Purdue at home. Those are two of the weakest teams in the Big Ten. Both quarterbacks are banged up, Wes Luntz and Chase Crouch. And the one thing we know about Jim Harbaugh, if he has a chance to put it on someone, he'll do it. He's got a lot of games where they just turn it into total blowouts. They get this game at home. They are coming off 78 to nothing, which is why the number's up this high. But, you know, when I look at the matchup, you just see Michigan winning and winning big. And do you have any doubt in the fourth quarter that Harbaugh will try for another touchdown with seven minutes to go? I don't. So if you're going to play the game, uh, I still would lean with Michigan in that one. Appreciate it, Tom. Yep. Yeah, Tom, thank you for the, the tweet. And, uh, Phil, I'm with you. Look for probably half a hundred to go up, right? And a uh, little quick side note. Now, he hasn't played all year. Uh, Drake Johnson is uh, set to return for Michigan. He's When he's been healthy, he's had a couple of, uh, couple of solid years, even last year for uh, Jim Harbaugh as he backed up Davion Smith. So, Drake Johnson back and going to be added to that Michigan running back stable. So, Tom, we appreciate that tweet. Uh, let me turn it over to our producer, Jim Nabosna. Jim, he's always on the money. Jim, let it rip. Uh, we know social media always blows up for us here on Strong as Steel. What do you have today? We have a question going into the Big Ten. At Don Lon would like to know, can Northwestern continue their winning streak this weekend versus Indiana? You know, this should be one of the better games of the weekend because uh, I think you have two play-on teams. Indiana's offense, let's face it, after two games in the season, you watched Northwestern's offense and you said, these guys can't move the ball on anybody. They're going to struggle to score. And now, their last two games, they have put up 92 points, and they've averaged or they've had about uh, 440 yards per game in those two games. The running game's there with Justin Jackson. And Clayton Thorson, who couldn't hit a pass at the start of the year, has now got 11 touchdowns, five interceptions. I think his key is Austin Carr. Austin Carr is one of the more underrated receivers out there. Now, defensively, it surprised me. They've been good against the run the last two weeks, but they're giving up a boatload of yards uh, passing the ball. And, in fact, in Big Ten play, giving up 438 yards per game. Not what you expect from a Pat Fitzgerald defense. When you look at Indiana, not what you would expect from an Indiana defense. They're only giving up 373 yards per game. They're playing good ball. In fact, holding their opponents this year to 50 yards below their season average. New defensive coordinator Tom Allen doing a great job. Last week they took Nebraska right to the wire, held the Huskers to 113 yards below their season average. Remember, they held Ohio State to 160 below their season average, so they're doing great in that respect. Offensively, Lego should be able to have success against this Northwestern secondary, and Divine Redding having another solid season. Uh, this is one of those coin flip games. I mean, I really think that the winner is going to really improve their stock bowl-wise, uh, bowl slotting-wise this year. I do think both teams are going to make a bowl. Uh, and uh, Northwestern's got the home field edge, but uh, to me it's a coin flip game. Appreciate the uh, the tweet there, Dan. And by the way, that's right where Vegas has it, too. I believe Northwestern about one-and-a-half-point favorite. At Kevin Kaufman says, the Buffs are a shocking 7-0 and against the spread this year. Can it continue with a win against Stanford? 
Well, if they're, you know, what I've always said is when you play on streaks, you can win many times and you lose only once. So if you've been playing Colorado, I recommend play them every week because sometime along the way that streak will end, but uh, you can win a lot of times. But, you know, when I break this one down, I like the fact that Stanford last week got back some key defensive players, especially in the secondary. They had uh, their top cornerback comes back last week, gets a key interception return for a touchdown, which really turned around the Notre Dame game. They were dead in the water against the Irish. That put them back in the game. They ended up winning. I think they're a healthier team. They're at home. Now, McCaffrey, very questionable for this, whether he's going to be able to play or not. But Stanford needs a win. They've lost two of their last three games. And if they're going to have any shot in the Pac-12, they need to win this one at home. And I'm going to go back to two weeks ago with Colorado when they played UCLA. They were out first, or USC, excuse me. They were out first down 28-20, to outgained by 168 yards, and kept that cover streak rolling because USC's wide receiver with an open field in front of him slides down to a knee. Also, they had a couple other plays during the game, some missed field goals for USC. I thought they were fortunate to cover that game. Now the spread's cheaper than that game was. If you Stanford wins this game by three, they end up having enough because because of uh, Colorado's spread streak. So if you haven't been playing Colorado, I'm recommending don't jump on board. I actually like Stanford to win this one by about a field goal or more this week. Appreciate the tweet there, Kevin. At Cuse Endzone wants to know if you think Cuse can go into Boston College after and win after an emotional upset of Virginia Tech. I think it's going to be tough, but I love the way that Babers had them playing. But I listened to that locker room speech he gave, and that was a team that had the situational edge. They gave their A-plus, A-plus top effort, and they were very happy to win that. It was a very motivated Syracuse. Now they've got to go on the road, and, you know, Boston College hasn't had type this quite the season I thought they would. You look at that opening game against Georgia Tech, they outplayed Georgia Tech the entire game. Had a 112-yard edge, probably should have won it, didn't win it. But the two games that surprised me the most are their blowout losses to Virginia Tech and Clemson. Syracuse has that high potent offense, but they are only averaging 26 points per game. Yeah, they're running a lot more plays than last year, but last year they averaged 27 points per game. So while it's more frenetic, while they run more plays, uh, it's not quite there. And defensively, massive edge here to BC. They allow about half the yards per game that Syracuse does. In fact, Syracuse giving up 101 yards per game above the season average to opponents. BC holding their foes to 114 yards below. The fact that BC comes in off a bye, much like Syracuse caught Virginia Tech in a great situation last week, I think BC catches Syracuse in a great situation this week. And I usually side with the stronger defense. I'm going to go with BC to play one of its better games of the week this week. And I'll call for BC to win this one by double digits. Appreciate the tweet. And we got our weekly tweet from Tommy Touchy with Marshall's defense allowing teams over 120 yards above their season average and specifically struggling against the run. Will Charlotte be able to keep this game close? Yeah, I definitely think so, Tommy. Appreciate the tweet. Appreciate you using the Phil Steele Plus. By the way, just to let you, the listeners know right now, up on Phil or on philsteel.com, you can go there if you have no idea what Phil Steel Plus is or if you're an inside the press box subscriber and you want to learn how to use Phil Steel Plus better, go there and get my Phil Steel Plus game of the week right now. It's Purdue at Nebraska. Complete breakdown of the two teams. You'll know everything about Purdue and Nebraska when you're done with this. Plus, you'll learn a lot on how to use the Phil Steel Plus, which is a website that's set up specifically for me to use. All this stuff is geared for quick, easy access and to match up teams side by side. You'll love it. Take the five minutes or so tonight. Go to philsteel.com. Click on the Phil Steel Plus Game of the Week matchup, Nebraska hosting Purdue, and uh, you'll just love it. And so once again, Tommy, thanks for using the Phil Steel Plus. And when I look at this matchup, to me, the difference in Charlotte is at the quarterback spot. Hassan Clue has taken over at QB, and all of a sudden they're hitting 71% of their passes. He's got a 6-2 ratio. Kevin Olson, the big Miami of Florida transfer that went in there, PS number four, he struggled all year, complete passes, hitting 51%. Charlotte's got running backs like Khalif Phillips and Robert Washington, who are both averaging over 4.5 yards a carry. They've got Austin Duke, a receiver. The defense, not playing bad. They're, only, they're, holding, they're giving up opponents 34 yards above their season average. You would think by their early season scores this is a horrible team. 
I'm saying they're not so bad right now. So when you look at Charlotte on the season only being outgained by 67 yards per game, yes, I think they can keep it close with Marshall. In fact, uh, I don't believe Marshall's covered a game all year. I'm not sure. I don't know what that Morgan State was, but they have been a super disappointing team. So got to go with Charlotte to keep that one close. Appreciate the tweet, as always, Tommy T. And, Phil, I actually have a question for you myself because I was looking at that Phil Steele plus game between Purdue and Nebraska. And uh, something that stood out when I was watching the tutorial, when you were going through Purdue's box scores throughout the season, um, it was noticeable that in conference play they were getting killed defensively against the run. Um, I think they were giving up 7.4 yards per carry against the Big Ten. Uh, so this weekend they also have to worry about not just a running back but a running quarterback in Tommy Armstrong. Are they going to be able to get Nebraska off the field, or is Nebraska just going to be able to run down the field at will? Well, that's a great question, Jim. I appreciate that. And uh, I would like to answer it for you. But like the listeners, I'm going to have to let them look at the tutorial and uh, and take a look at the matchup on Phil Steele. But that's uh, that's that's an intriguing question, and there's a few other great facts we point out on there. Appreciate you watching that uh, that uh, matchup of the week for Phil Steele Plus. Yeah, we appreciate all of you that are always locked in. You can get inside the press box, Phil Steele Plus. Uh, you know, of course, everything is at your fingertips as at as well at philsteele.com. All of this uh, to enhance your viewing and ability to be in the know uh, about college football for your favorite team and uh, those around uh, the FBS as well. Michael Regai, Phil Steele with you, our producer Jim Nabosna. Let us uh, get back to uh, all of you, 646-668-2248. Uh, another trek into, uh, I'm not sure if this is New York City or the state of New York. Uh, John is with us with some Big Ten thoughts and what could be a big one. Hi, John. How are you? Good. How are you doing, guys? It, it, it is from the state of New York. Uh, my question is is regarding the Wisconsin, uh, the Wisconsin-Iowa game. Do you think Wisconsin still has enough gas in the tank after those two big emotional losses the last two weeks? to go into Iowa and take care of business, uh, considering Iowa's going to be probably all pumped up for them and the Heartland Trophy being uh, at stake here? All right, great question. I'm glad you talked about this game, John. It wouldn't have been a podcast this week without talking about it because this is a huge game not only uh, you know this weekend, <coughs> excuse me, but also for uh, potentially determining the Big Ten West. You know, you look at Iowa, they've got one conference loss, Wisconsin comes in with two. I think the Badgers pretty much eliminate themselves with the loss here, but a victory keeps them alive. And I I think you hit it right on the head. You look at the fact that Wisconsin has not faced a team that wasn't in the top ten since back on September the 17th. It's been a long time. Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State were all top ten. The last two games have been tough for Wisconsin, and I thought they gave a super effort last week against Ohio State at home. That's at night in Madison. Jump around. you get got a whole bunch going. Now they've got to go on the road and face Iowa. And I was a lot fresher. And you go back and look at last week's Iowa-Purdue game. The final score was 49-35. to So yet another lackluster win for Iowa, right? Not so fast, my friend. After three quarters, it was 42-14. to Iowa put all their backups in on defense, put in their backups on offense. Purdue scored some garbage late in the half. Iowa's starting to play some good ball. They're running the football with two guys at running back. I'm talking about Akram Wadley and LaShawn Daniels are two guys that are really lighting it up on the ground game. C.J. Beathard has not had the type of year expected, but the numbers are okay. He's hitting 60% with 11-4 ratio. And defensively, I think we're going to see improvement from Iowa. You know, they gave up 504 yards to Purdue, but as mentioned, almost 300 of that came in the fourth quarter when they were up by 28. So the defense playing better expected. Now, last year's game, Wisconsin controlled it. They had the yardage edge. They had the first down edge. But Iowa somehow, some way, won that game on the road. I think Iowa wins this one, pulls the home upset this week. And a lot of it is because of the situation. While their players were resting in the fourth quarter against Purdue, Wisconsin was going to the wall against Ohio State in overtime. And I don't think they're going to have too much left this week. Appreciate the call. Phil, I'm going to go against you on this one, my man, okay? So we can have our little lunch bet on this. I, I'm, I'm going to take Paul Chris' football team. I like what I saw from Alex Hornibrook last week and the way they ran the football, as you you discussed earlier on the show. So you and I can have a little fun with this one, Phil. How's that? I'm going to take Wisconsin on the road at Iowa. Sounds good, Michael. Looking forward to it. 
All right, let's uh, move on. It's 646-668-2248. Let's uh, go into the hub of New England, Boston, Massachusetts. Here's Fred with some Mid-American Conference thoughts. Hello, Fred. Hello. Just wanted to uh, get your opinion on Akron this week off of the bad, bad loss to Western Michigan. Do you think they bounce back this week at Ball State? Thank you. I appreciate it, Fred. And and when Michael said Mac question, I said in my head, yes, I love talking about the the group of five. And and here's a game where, as you mentioned, yeah, Michael too. Akron was just very poor last week, but a lot of teams are going to do that against Western. And once the ball got rolling, uh, it was pretty much done. And Trevon Chapman, while he had a good game against Miami of Ohio, he's not the same quarterback Thomas Woodson is. I believe Thomas Woodson could return this week. Michael, have you heard anything about that? Thomas Woodson uh, is practicing this week, Phil. I've been told he's making all the throws as of yesterday, and Terry Bowden is going to wait to see until Friday which way he wants to go. Phil, I'd lean toward Woodson returning to his starting quarterback slot. You know, from what I heard, that he was almost ready to go last week. So, yeah, I would agree yes. with you. I think he's going to play this week. And Akron's a different team with Thomas Woodson at QB. Uh, defensively, they've been struggling all year. They're giving up 143 yards above what their opponents average. But with Miami, with Woodson at QB, keep in mind, Woodson's got a 13-4 to ratio. He's hitting 67%. Riley Neal's having a nice season, but he still only has six touchdown passes. He's got eight interceptions on the year. And defensively, they're struggling a little bit, too. They're giving up in MAC play. They're allowing their opponents 125 yards above their season average. Akron in MAC play, allowing their opponents just 51 yards above their season average. Now, James Gilbert looked great last week. Gives them the running game. I mean, he's averaging 5.4 yards a carry, very close to 1,000 yards on the year. But I'm going to call for Akron to rebound this week and get the win even on the road at Ball State. So I like the zips in that one. Appreciate the call, Fred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. And I feel great to, to bring that up, too, because that's the interesting aspect of that. Will it be Thomas Woodson back at the helm? 646-668-2248. Phil, you know, back to the Big Ten for a moment. I want to get your thoughts. Mark D'Antonio in Michigan State, he hasn't been tested like this with his program in a in a funk in a free fall with four losses and now having to go to Maryland. Uh, where's D'Antonio at? Can he bounce back? And uh, D.J. Durkin's squad has dropped a couple in a row as well. Yeah, Maryland was the toast of the town after winning their first four games, but two games where they were just absolutely dominated against both Penn State and Minnesota the last two games. And, uh, you know, you look at who Michigan State's been losing to. Indiana, they had the lead on the road and lost. BYU's a pretty good team. Northwestern, a pretty good team. Uh, I think somehow, some way, D'Antonio gets it together. I can't see him losing five straight games. So this is one of those games where their back is absolutely to the wall right now. And they got even though they're a slight favorite in this game, I got to think they play like underdogs and come out with their hair on fire. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm laughing because I, I find it. You know, if you if you you could have got all our money, Phil, if you would have said before the season started. <laughs> Michigan State's going to drop four in a row and then go to Maryland trying to avoid five straight and be completely out of uh, any CFP or major bowl consideration. So it's you know, going to any be bowl, any bowl consideration right now. They still have oh, you're Michigan right. Ohio State down the stretch here. No, you're right. Well, they've got to win out to be 6-6, six and six, uh, factoring in, as you said, that um, they're not going to be favored against either Michigan or Ohio State. This is strong as steel. We know you're loving it, and on top of it, we've got a few more minutes to go today. 646-668-2248. Still got time to get you in. All right, Phil, we got inside the SEC West with Arkansas and Auburn and Mississippi and LSU. Alabama, so impressive last week. Phil, first of all, is there any doubt right now that uh, Nick Saban and his football team are a step above everybody else? And then they welcome in Texas A&M to Tuscaloosa this week. Can Kevin Sumlin come in and change our minds about that statement I just made? Well, I think, you know, in college football, 
nobody's going to be dominant every single week. So I, I think when it gets to be the playoffs, there will be doubts whether Alabama can win it, provided Alabama, of course, makes the playoffs. they got that big game against LSU coming up. But uh, they do right at this point with their defense scoring like they do with Jalen Hurts at QB, uh, a guy like Damian Harris running. But they're a loaded team and, and clearly are playing like the best team in the country. Now, A&M the last two years has been blown out by Alabama, 41-23 to last year at home. And the previous time they traveled here, uh, they got destroyed 59 to nothing. But this isn't the past two years Texas A&M team. They actually run the ball well. They're averaging 6.8 yards a carry. Travion Williams uh, 704 yards already. Trevor Knight gives him a run game from the quarterback spot. And defensively, after giving up always 5.0 or higher per season, they're on the post to 3.9 yards per carry. So they're playing better on the defensive side of the ball. Alabama's clearly a better team. They're at home. They should win this game comfortably. I I like the tide in this, but I don't think it's going to be anywhere near the blowout factor that last week's win was over a uh, injury-plagued Tennessee team. Injury plagued, I'll give you that, but still just just abs- phenomenally impressive the way uh, every facet of Alabama's squad is playing at such an elite level. Phil, you mentioned a little while ago that you and I love to do group of five, whether it's MAC, Mountain West, Sunbelt, Conference USA, American, doesn't matter. How about what's going down at uh, Texas San Antonio now this weekend? Uh, they've got UTEP coming in, Phil. What does your computer say about it? Can they stay solid and strong, group of five, or um, is UTEP have a shot in this one? Well, you know, I thought UTEP would be a lot better this year than what they are. Now, two two weeks ago when they played Louisiana Tech on the road, they lost 28-7, to but that was actually 14-7 to in the fourth quarter. Aaron Jones has been banged up at running back. He's one of the better running backs in the country, averages seven yards a carry. Zach Greenlee, the Fresno State transfer, hasn't performed well. In that game against Louisiana Tech, they had Ryan Metz at QB. Metz led them to that game. Greenlee struggled last week in their last game against FIU two weeks ago. But they are off a bye, and they need to get it rolling. With UTSA, Dalton Sturms looked great at QB. Ten touchdowns, mm-hmm. three interceptions. They got Jalen Rhodes and Jarvian Williams at running back. I think UTSA at this point is the better team. But at the spread in that game, I was about 10. I would actually lean yeah. with UTEP to keep it closer. I can't believe they're that bad. Now, if they lose this game badly against UTSA, I'll throw UTEP in the trash can and say they're done because they already have six losses on the year, and uh, odds of them winning out and getting to a bowl are slim. But at this point, I'm going to side with the underdog minors. Yeah, I'm with you on the minors, too. I thought they were going to play at much higher level than what they've shown so far. Strong as steel keeps rolling on. We've only got a few more minutes Bob Stoops and his Oklahoma Sooners, Phil, going into uh, Lubbock to tangle with Texas Tech this week. Uh, now, can they run the table? You know, we started talking about this three weeks ago. Can they run the table and possibly get the Big 12 back into the conversation uh, when we discuss uh, strong bowl bids, if not the CFP? Yeah, I've been calling for it for three weeks. I said Oklahoma's going to finish 10-2 and two and the Big 12 champs. Now, will that get them back in the conversation They'll be in the conversation, but have a chance of making the playoffs? I don't think so. There's too many solid one-loss teams out there that lost to Ohio State was tough. Uh, and especially if they, since they lost to Ohio State at home by 21, if Michigan was to lose to Ohio State on the road by 3 to 10 points, right there that would be a big factor, plus one less loss. So I think it's going to be tough for the Big 12 to make the playoffs this year. But this week, they're taking on a Texas Tech team. Now, I watched Patrick Mahomes last week, and Patrick Mahomes right. is a very good quarterback, but his shoulder's bothering him, something fierce, and it's really affected his throwing. Yeah, he threw for 345 yards, but it wasn't the Patrick Mahomes you're used to seeing. If he's not a lot better for this game, he could be in trouble. And then Oklahoma's got a quarterback in Baker Mayfield. He's playing great the last three games. They are without P. Ryan, their top running back. He'll be out with injury, but they've got Mixon. Mayfield's a guy that was at Texas Tech, and then Texas Tech didn't allow him to play a year. They fought the, the fact that he was a walk-on transferring. So I think he'll be motivated in this one. Oklahoma's dominated the game. i like the Sooners to win that one by two touchdowns or more. Very good. We're going to sneak one more in. we only got a couple of minutes. Here's Raymond from Cambridge, Mountain West Thoughts. Raymond, very quickly on Strongest Steel. Go right ahead. Good afternoon. I wanted to hear your thoughts on uh, does Mike Bobo and the Colorado State Rams strike the upset against UNLV? Thank you. All right, appreciate it. Uh, that wouldn't be much of an upset, but UNLV, you know, since Dalton Sneed's taken over at QB, with the exception of that San Diego State game where they only put up 122 yards, 
they've had a pretty potent offense. So I think UNLV's a dangerous team here at home. Colorado State, they were down 28-3 to against Boise. They scored three touchdowns, twice recovered an onside kick to get back in that game, but did beat Utah State in their prior one. Uh, Colin Hill is out for the year, however, and I watched what Stevens did last week. He had an okay type of game. Uh, I, I like the quarterback play actually at UNLV a little bit better with Dalton Steed coming in this one, and they're at home. So I'm going to side with UNLV, but uh, I don't think it'll be a blowout. UNLV is about a two and a half point favorite. I have a window of something like three to six points. Appreciate the call. Phil, we ran our no-huddle, uh, fast-paced offense today. I covered a lot of ground. Make sure all of you get more. You can get inside the press box. You can get SteelsWeeklyPreview.com. Every assessment that you need, uh, Phil Steel Plus, PhilSteel.com. Phil, a lot of ground covered, as I said. Let's look forward to having a big weekend and doing it again next week, my man. Very good stuff. Yeah. Also, check out SteelsWeeklyPreview.com. Enter the promo code STEEL. That's at SteelsWeeklyPreview.com. Enter the promo code STEEL. You get 20 bucks off any package. And then, as Michael talked about, go to PhilSteel.com right now. Check out the Phil Steel Plus Game of the Week, Purdue against Nebraska, completely broken down for you, and you see how to use Phil Steel Plus to its fullest. Michael, always great uh, doing a podcast. And, Jim, Mr. Twitter guy over there and producer extraordinaire, appreciate all you did for the show again today. Good stuff, everybody. We'll see you next week right here on Strong as Steel. For Phil and Jim, I'm Michael. So long, all.